the Rethinking Learning Podcast. I'm Barbara Gray, and this is where I have conversations on learning with inspirational educators, thought leaders, and difference makers. Well, I have someone all the way from Dubai, but I don't know if you're in Dubai right now. Where are you right now? I'm actually on vacation in Cyprus with my family. Oh, see, I love this when we go everywhere. And this is Evo Hannon. I am so excited that you're here. How's it going, everyone? (laughs) Hey, guys. (laughs) Well, they're going to find out about you. In fact, let me just kind of show you off a little bit. Evo Hannon is dedicated to promoting design and abstract thinking, innovation, and the UN SDGs you know, I'm a Teach SDGs ambassador, so we're going to have to talk about that. You are a Teach SDGs ambassador. You are one of my gurus. Oh. You're one of the people I look up to. Oh, oh. okay. <laughs> you do a lot. You do stuff in education and beyond. In fact, Eva's passion for design and innovation enables students to experience the benefits of collaborating with global enterprises. Evo is a design teacher and Spark Tank coordinator at Dwight School in Dubai. I just love that title. We're going to talk about all of this. (laughs) Welcome, Evo. This is so great. Thank you very much, Barbara. Oh, you are welcome. This is so fun to actually meet you and talk to you like this, because we've actually talked and you even helped with a Twitter chat and stuff with us. Yeah, that's right, actually. Yeah, that was yeah, fun, right. but that wasn't this way. Like, we can actually talk to each other. <laughs> <laughs> it's like face-to-face. Yeah, right? yeah <laughs> it's wonderful. So how I have everyone start is just to give us some background. So where did you grow up and your family? What was it like? Okay, so um, my my parents are actually Bangladeshi. They moved over to the UK in the 70s. And that's where I was born and bred with my uh, four brothers and my one sister. Uh, We grew up in a very predominantly uh, white British community called the Wirral, uh, which is there's nothing really wrong with that. Um, But it, it was quite challenging when we grew up in and we went to school, we were like the only non-white kids in primary school. Mm. Me and my brother were the, were the only non-white kids in secondary school. And you can, I mean, it doesn't take a genius to figure out. There are obviously a few challenges there as we grew up. Um, we had good friends, so we were quite lucky. But um, mm. yeah, as as I grew up, I I was kind of, I became aware that really I wasn't, ever going to be someone who was favoured. You know, you were always kind of chosen last for things. You were always kind of put, you never, I never put my hand up in classes in case somebody didn't like it and would would say something after class, you know, you, mm. and it really knocks your confidence and, and your kind of identity. You almost become comfortable n- not being noticed. Wow. So as I, as I grew up, when I went to university in Manchester, in Salford, the communities were much wider. You had Asian communities and Chinese and African, and all of a sudden it was a bit more diverse and I could be a little bit louder, I guess. I could kind of step out my shell a bit more. I graduated in design, 
design and innovation, uh, tinkering, that's really all I've ever known. And then after graduating in 2000, there was very few jobs in design that were in the local area of Liverpool and Manchester. So an opportunity came up to train as a design teacher, design technology teacher. Um, I went to my old secondary school, spoke to my head of um, design and technology, who was a great um, mentor of mine. He was the one who suggested I study design at university. And he was like, go for it. You've always thought a bit differently. So at 21 years old, I'd graduated in design and started a postgraduate certificate of education, a PGCE. And uh, that was a one-year course, got the actual certificate. Yeah, started teaching on the Wirral for the first time. Wow. So let's just go back to when you said growing up, being the only non-white student. I mean, yeah, I, you know, yeah. there's a lot of um, issues now in, you know, around the world about, especially with immigrants and stuff like that. I mean, I, I, how did you handle that? I mean, you said that you didn't want to be noticed. You said you got comfortable with feeling not noticed, but what was that like? And what did you want to do different? What would you, and, um, and maybe even what would you suggest now for kids that are in that situation? It's tricky because you, you're standing out sometimes can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. Um, I avoided ever getting into fights, really. I avoided really any type of physical, you know, kind of like physical bullying because I backed out every single time. Mm. And to be honest, at the time, and even now, really, and I look back and think, you haven't made such a bad decision there. Psychologically, obviously, verbal abuse and all that type of stuff. It just became, it was like a daily thing. You just almost put up with it. You're like, yeah, that's just gonna, that's what happened. And I remember, and I know my brothers as well. They all, we all went through it. And it was, it's kind of really made us the people we are. Because we're all very entrepreneurial. We're all really like... To the core, we're really all quite innovative, even though we're not all creators. We all think on a slightly different level to the others around us, really. We're all over the world. I'm in Dubai. One of my brothers has taught in Paris, in India, in Houston, Texas. Uh, My my younger brother currently lives in uh, New Zealand. My other brother works in in Ibiza. Um, I'd say between us all, we've probably covered... 90% 90% of the countries in the world with our travels. So it's it's not necessarily a negative thing, but for, for anyone who's experiencing that now in school, always think ahead because the moment you are in now is not the moment that you're going to be in forever. So if you're struggling now, that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to struggle in the future so be mindful of your situation if you're 13 14 years old and you're struggling don't necessarily think i have to do things now because when you get a job when you're 21 22 23 when you're 30 when you're 40 when you're 50 you're you're a different person i'm not necessarily advocating struggle but what I am saying is be aware of who you are in a situation because the, the, the last thing you want to do is retaliate and not be able to handle yourself because that can really lead 
two devastating effects. And I'd hate, I'd hate for anyone to be like, well, I heard this guy on a podcast and he told me to stand up for myself and now I'm in hospital. It's, you know, it's not worth it. Yeah. You know, those small battles that take place as you're, when you're a teenager, in comparison to the bigger battles that take place when you're a grown-up, calculate those, be mindful of those, and, but always in the back of your mind, always know in the back of your mind, but what I want to be is not where I am now. What I want to be is over there, and I'm going to take small steps. I don't have to tell anyone about it. I don't have to share it to anybody. It's my dream. They're my goals. And I don't care what you say about me, and I don't care what you do to me. I am still going to reach those goals despite what you say and what you do. And when I reach those goals, I'm going to be happier for it. And I won't even know your name, so it doesn't matter. Wow. Okay, you just said, <laughs> no, no, no. That's exactly <laughs> what I was hoping you would say, but you said it better than I th- hoped. It's, uh, it's very tough to be a kid anyway no matter who you are. And in school, where you're supposed to be compliant, unfortunately, we hope where you Mm. are now and all the things you're doing is you're teaching agency, and we'll talk about that more. But I grew up when you had to be compliant, and it was really tough when other kids found something, bullied you or you know, you didn't know what to, how to handle it. So I love what you said about being mindful and being aware that this is not the only time in your life and that, you know, take care of yourself. On that note, Evo, you'd mention your family being all entrepreneurial. Were your parents entrepreneurial? My father's a very abstract thinker. They are very humble people. They have grown up in extremely small villages in Bangladesh, but he's a He's a very forward-thinking person. I mean, I think the first time he moved over to the UK, he was maybe 16 when he moved over on his own. So he left his family in Bangladesh, moved over to a country where no one knew his name. He didn't understand the language. He didn't even know where he was going. To make a life that was better for his family and his future family who weren't even born yet. He wasn't even married at the time. So... When I look at the opportunity that really he's provided and the sacrifices that obviously my mother's made by by leaving her family behind, it'd almost be silly that we didn't try to stretch ourselves. In, in the 20th and 21st century now where I can move to any city in the world and I don't have to really be afraid. In the 60s, when my father first moved over, he didn't even know when he was going to see his family again. You know, it's so, so different, so different. So it, it's not necessarily that he was an entrepreneur from a business point of view, but he's definitely an innovator. He's rebuilt his village. He's rebuilt my mother's village. Um, so they've gone from living in basically mud houses, and they're all concrete now because my father's spent the time, he's invested wisely, He's made very kind of strategic moves financially and put all of that money back into his village and all that money back into his family, which is why eventually my goal is my first global goal, which would connect to SDG number four, quality education, is to open a school in Bangladesh and name it after my father. So that's Uh... a very long-term goal. Yeah, that's a very long-term goal for me. 
Oh my gosh. Well, boy, you have, you got to write a book and, and tell about your dad and, <laughs> and, and, every, and, and your brothers and your, and there's your sister also, you didn't mention her. What is she doing? Yeah, my sister, uh, she works in the UK, but she travels a lot with her work. And she's got two daughters, my two nieces. Struggle brings out a different type of thinking. That is all I can say. And anybody who, anybody who struggles in any type of part of their life, they are asked to reflect and rethink where they are. I feel very thankful that my family have all taken that struggle and turned it into something positive. Not everybody does, but we've managed to. We're all doing fairly well. And my father and my mother, uh, they're, they're very pleased with where we are. We, we, obviously, we, we did things when we grew up that were naughty. Don't get me wrong, we're certainly not perfect kids. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're doing okay. We're doing all right. Uh, yeah. I love what you said about struggle. There's a quote that says, if you don't challenge yourself, you won't change. And Absolutely. so, yeah, so that idea of struggle is is amazing. So you... Can you tell me your family? You're there with your family right now? Uh, I'm here with my my wife, my two children. My wife works in leisure and tourism. I've got uh, Zach, who's six years old, and Zara, who's four. They are, honestly, they are like the best kids in the world. And I know every father and mother would say that. So I guess I'm not being innovative there. Zach's going to be a bit of a game changer. He's six years old and he's already learning how to do the Rubik's Cube. Uh, that's the that's the nerdy side of him but the other side of Zach is he's such an environmentalist so we went to the beach yesterday and he came up and he was almost in tears and I was like Zach are you okay he's like daddy people are throwing litter into the sea and it's going to kill animals and he had a handful of litter that he, mm-hmm. he basically picked up from the beach I'm like this guy's six years old like what and it made me kind of go, whoa, I need to be picking litter up from the beach. This kid's six. He's on holiday. Good for him. And he's him. upset because people no. are killing animals because of litter. I was like, mm. whoa, this is amazing. And then Zara, who's four, is just this like little whippersnapper. <laughs> she's just <laughs> She's like the smallest kid in the school, but she's just got this huge personality. So, yeah, I wonder where she got it. Very privileged. (laughs) (laughs) Very, very, very privileged uh, to have Mm. children like that. It is wonderful, isn't it? It makes you also, when you're you're a parent, you also understand children in the school better, and you also understand where the parents are coming from. Yeah, because you're you're, you're there yourself. Yeah, yeah, you do absolutely. So you taught in England and you taught about design and but what made you go to Dubai? So my first school was Upton Hall School. It's a very um green leaf school. It's um it's it's quite a like a posh school really. It's got very high standards, uh an outstanding school. And almost like the type of school that if you ever get a job at, you would never you'd never leave it because it's such a nice school and nice environment to work in I remember describing to my friends what it was like to work at Upton Hall School and I kept saying to them it was like surfing a big wave the school was this wave and all of these teachers were surfing 
and I was just trying to stay on this this surfboard just because <laughs> it was just so fast. There's just so much going on, and for someone like me, like I'm, uh, my background's Muslim, although I'm not very religious, and this was a, a traditional Catholic school, and it was an all girls school. So I never thought I was going to get the job, <laughs> and I was only I was only like. 22 I, I just turned 22 so just to give you a bit of an idea the, the the students in my class in my first class some of them were turning 18 and I was only I'd only turned 22 only four years older that's crazy. only four years yeah so yeah. I, you know <laughs> but some of the there's some of the students in my my class in my advisory tutor group they had friends who I who were friends with me so they had mutual friends. <laughs> I just thought it was, I was like, I'll oh, forget it. It's just the way it is. So uh, I, I, I developed a sense of humor for education pretty much straight away when I started at school. And then, so what happened was I was there for six years and I wanted to get into leadership, but the head, the head of departments, Peter, great head of department, he just wasn't really going to go anywhere. And there was no reason for him to. It was such a nice school. So I thought, if I'm going to make a move to another school, why not make a big move? Because there's not really a reason to leave such a great school for another school in the area, which there wasn't really any other school in the area I wanted to work in. I'd been to Dubai before, and I thought, why not? Why not give it a go? And so I phoned a um, teaching agency up i said i only want to work in uh, a couple of locations around the world one of them being dubai two months later they had an interview for me i skyped on the interview and i got the job and that was it okay so when you went to dubai did you already you because you were doing design and innovation and hmm. was that job there already when you went to dubai or, or did you make it a, yes yeah. yes so, so I was trained in design and technology, which is part of the curriculum in the UK. And then when I went to Dubai, it was an international school with a British curriculum base. So I just really transitioned into the same job. It was just a different school in a different country. Same curriculum, created the same kind of projects. I, I could challenge myself a bit more because the machinery was a bit different and, and so on. The innovation thing came up after there was a, a few shifts in the um, priorities of the arts in the UK. And all of a sudden, I realized that being just as a design and technology teacher wasn't going to be enough. So I started to pick up a bit more about what the world of innovation means and, 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 and why it's becoming such a big thing in the corporate world. Design and technology and innovation, it's almost like hand in hand, really. This new, well, it's not new, but design thinking, which is this big term that a lot of people, design technology teachers teach design thinking. It's just what they've always taught. But we just didn't call it design thinking. We just called mm -hmm. it design and technology. So all of a sudden, there was a relevance to me. There was a relevance to what I was passionate about. And because there was a relevance, I'd say from about 2010, 2011 onwards, all of a sudden I was like, oh, I could leave my, my mark on the world here with some of my passions because people are actually starting to care about it. 
So uh, that's really where the innovation piece comes in. I'm in my third school in Dubai, which is Dwight School, and I currently facilitate the innovation and entrepreneurship program and promote it, which is called Spark Tank. I teach in this Spark Tank facility, which is this double floor, like gigantic space, really. It's it's like the center of the school and it's mm. absolutely massive. Like it's something that you'd see in a college or university. Like it's crazy. It's got this staircase that runs down the middle of it. Oh, wait a minute. Do you have a yeah, picture of crazy. it? Do you have a picture of that? Uh, you'd have to maybe go on the website. I don't have anything. Okay. Uh, point me out. Me, but... We'll put that up so people can see. It's Has crazy. It... Yeah, it's really cool. It's really cool. So Spark Tank. So they're doing like Shark Tank. Are they creating a business? Or are they creating some idea, a product? Or what are they doing? Yeah, so Dwight School New York was the first of the Dwight schools. There's, there's five of them. There is uh, Dwight New York, which which was which is the founding school. It opened in like the late 1800s, 1873. A hundred years later, they opened London, 1973. Then they opened... Um, Seoul and Shanghai in 2012 and 13 and then they opened Dubai 2018 and the shark tank program was introduced to promote innovation and entrepreneurship in New York four years ago and it was it's based on the tv show shark tank so the idea is students who have a passion project can use mentors in the school who will mentor them through a process which will enable them to pitch their idea in front of judges. Um, the school calls it Seasons. You can actually you can check it out on YouTube. They, they pitch it in front of uh, experts, very similar to the TV show. And Dwight has a foundation, and the foundation can help fund some of the projects. So it's really cool. Yeah, it's it's. I feel very lucky to be part of uh, part of the community. I want to work there. <laughs> that, sounds, <laughs> that sounds so wonderful. Um, that that's exactly what I you know I go around the world and I see projects and you know when the kids are actually doing passion projects, it's just so amazing. This is where they own what they do. They own yes, it, it, right? It's it just, is absolutely. And what ages? Is it all ages or is it just... Yeah, we've got students who are engaging in the program from like eight, nine years old. Wow. You know, it's cool. It's really cool. So is it a, like a K-12? It's a little bit like, um, it's like an extra curricular activity. Like okay. you you still do your your curriculum and if you opt to to try and take an idea forward you use your time to get mentorship so it's all based on students managing their own time as well and their own um their own work stream because oh, it's wow. an additional um commitment but then that's what entrepreneurs do right entrepreneurs always have additional commitments to become entrepreneurs so it's uh, yeah it's very real world very real world so um, it's interesting because there's a, I just did a panel on Saturday where you were on a different panel. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we talked about entrepreneurship and it was interesting that many of the panels were talking about that. So it's, I think that we need to have that type of entrepreneurial spirit, especially now 
they might not be the jobs we want or, you know, do what we no. want unless we can think out of the box a little bit. Absolutely. I saw your TED Talk, Creative <laughs> Currency. Is that what that's about? I, I mean, do you want to, it was, the currency is really the time, right? And Yeah. So this, it, it kind of links back to what I was saying before that this is the time where being creative has value. And the more creative you are, the more you're adding value to yourself. It was just something I just wasn't aware of until innovation and design thinking became this global business term and a need for the, you know, the top 500 companies. So all of a sudden I was like, well, the more creative I am, the more creative I become. And the more creative I become, the more value I have to these businesses. And that value grows, which is your, which is the idea of creative currency. The more you invest in yourself to be creative, the, the greater your currency, your value becomes. And yeah, that's what I, that's what I was kind of promoting in that TED talk. Uh, it was what, uh, yes, you said it, in, <laughs> you shortened an 18 minute or 20 minute talk into just that, that was the overview of it. And that's wonderful. So you have a new venture. We're talk. we got to talk about it. It's yeah. the, it's the agents for agents, student agency, right? Yeah. It's uh it's kind of odd being an innovation leader because you have to you have to practice what you preach. And I see a lot of people talk about innovation, but I don't really see them do anything innovative. So it's a quite mm-hmm. an odd thing to do. Like to talk about innovation, but then if I if I ever say to say to you, what have you done that's innovative? And for someone to turn around and say, well, I haven't, but I, I, my job is to talk about it. So I can't do that. So I've always been a bread and butter person, but I've always naturally been quite creative anyway. So recently I've developed this idea called the agency, which is to promote student agency and, and develop a, a community of agents. Um, this is going to be launched on the 4th of November, primarily to teachers in the US really and it's really exciting because in uh, April I went to I invested in myself and I went to New York and developed a network in New York with teachers and 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 people who I'd initially kind of met on Twitter and my aim was to continue that growth this year but with this idea and I've kind of put these uh, initial feelers out to people there's so much that seems to come back that now when I go out in April, I'm looking at now being in uh, four cities, including your city, Barbara. I can't San wait. San Francisco. You know, I'm, so, you know, I'm into agency, right? So, you know, I'm yeah, going to be yeah. part so, well, of why this. Don't you, why <laughs> don't you tell me a bit more about what you've done with agency? Oh, no, no. I'm not going to talk too much. I'll just tell you that I wrote two books on personalized learning and I'm doing a whole book on define your why, which is about how to know who you are. And it's, I'm really excited about it. And I wish I had known you before I started writing or you'd be in my book. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. How about, yeah. how about I get you to do the keynote, spe- the keynote opening in San Francisco? Would that work for you? 
You know it would. I would love that. <laughs> I mean, my High goodness. Five. High five. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's really, I mean, the whole thing is that um, I didn't have the word agency when I started when, I mean, I'm, oh, I have a son older than you. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> Sorry about Oops. that. I've been around a long time. <laughs> but I've been doing project-based learning and pushing passion projects way back when I worked in Oakland and uh, was doing coaching and didn't know the word was agency, but that's what I was doing. Yeah. And it, 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 when we wrote our book, we talked about voice and choice and, you know, ownership and why, yes. if you, who owns the learning, which is what Alan November said, uh, if we can let go because I have talked to teachers as I've never worked so hard in my life. And I'm going, if you let go a little bit, <laughs> the kids are the ones who should be working yeah. the hardest. They're, they're the ones yeah, whoever yeah, does yeah, that work. Right. Yeah. So I, you know, I'm, when I saw what you were doing and you and I've been kind of twittering back and forth, <laughs> I, I said, ah, oh, I have to talk to you. I have to. And uh, in fact, it was mayor. Uh, Sivernak, who got us together. Yeah. Remember? Yeah. She, yeah there's, so ma- there's so many amazing people that we both have met that we could share. And I feel very lucky. Me too. So, so tell a little bit more about what you want to do with this, um, the agents. How do you want, because this is, I'm hoping to get people out there that listen to this might be interested. So what I'm hoping for is, to develop a community of what I call agents who will promote this message of agency positively. So they're willing to be active. They're willing to learn about Generation Z. They're willing to develop new ideas. They're willing to trust their students. They're willing to, exactly what you've said, they're willing to let go because really, Their future is to action what happens in the world. Our future is to enable them to action their dreams and ambitions that will impact the world. I think sometimes teachers almost get a bit stuck on delivering what they're told to instead of enabling what they should be. It's a very inclusive, non-threatening message to all teachers like i said initially starting in the u.s um for anyone who's out there um i'm currently looking at the locations of new york tech somewhere in texas somewhere around the chicago area and then probably in your living room barbara for san francisco (laughs) so uh I might so, have a I might have a place depending on how many people you're talking about. Oh, great! Oh, yeah. So, um, and it's and it's so exciting because some of the some of the my supporters who have been great, my great supporter Kelly Bari, David Hanel, Courtney Jones, who I only spoke to yesterday, they are very like go for it, you know. Uh, someone who I really have a lot of respect for is Walter Greeson, who works at Monmouth who, when I met in April, he was very much like, you know, Evo, you have a very different message. You know, you're not American. You are someone who's been brought up in a minority situation. You're, but you seem very positive about it. And the fact that you've got this kind of British accent is something that Americans seem to respond to quite well to. How's that <laughs> cool? 
<laughs> and then and then you live in Dubai, and a lot of Americans, well, forward-thinking Americans, seem to seem to like the idea of, of visiting. So it's like, so yeah, you've got something that people will respond to if you do it the right way. And I want to do it the right way. I don't see any divide, Barbara, between myself as an educator and educators anywhere. China, Australia, Japan, mm-hmm. South, South Africa, Europe, America. America just seems to be the place that I gravitate towards because I've, I'm, I'm fascinated by America. It's always been that kind of, you know, when you're a kid and you used to see New York and on these like, you know, you, you saw Home Alone and you were like, oh my God, America. Like you just, you, you just never thought you'd be there. And now... <laughs> Not only am I going to be there, I'm going to be hanging out with some of my friends like Barbara and, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was like, whoa, how, how have you managed to do this, Eva? <laughs> like, it just, I, it almost blows it my wonderful. mind. It's well, great. I am excited to meet you in person <laughs> and play. I've done some, I've brought people together and try to do that myself. And I know that there's a lot of people that know you already and want to, actually, there's a lot of people that are already doing some of this work. If we can yeah. pull ourselves together and figure out, I, I really look forward to this. I have to close pretty soon because of the time, but I think I could talk to you all day long. <laughs> <laughs> Let's grab a coffee in San Francisco. Definitely. Definitely. Oh, Eva, you're just amazing. This was a really (laughs) wonderful, I learned so much about you. uh, I didn't know. And, and thank you so much for sharing your story and your journey and your hopes and dreams. This idea of opening a school in your father's home. It's just, yeah, I just want to give you a big (laughs) hug. Give me a hug yes, through the yes, screen. Hug, hug through hug the screen. Hug it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, have a wonderful rest of your day with your family on vacation in Cyprus. I'm so jealous. That sounds so Thank wonderful. Thank you very much, Barbara. Thank you I'll so send you, much. I'll send you uh, some photos, yeah? Yes. Thank you so much. <laughs> no, thank you, Barbara. Honestly, thank you for giving me an opportunity with your podcast give me an opportunity with your Twitter chat and actually give me your time because that is the most important thing that you can give to anyone. And I am really a stranger to you. Well, I was. I'm certainly not, not anymore. now. Not anymore. You know, more about, you know more about me than my best friends. <laughs> so uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much. And I really do look forward to working with you in the future. Well, we will. Have a wonderful vacation. (laughs) And we'll talk some more. Thank you, Barbara. Take care, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Learning Podcast and my conversation with Evo Hannon. Make sure you check out the complimentary blog post about Evo and his story, journey, and all the other things I learned about him. (laughs) along with the resources and links. I hope you subscribe to my podcast so you can listen at any time from anywhere. I really welcome your review and would love it if you share out the post with the podcast. By the way, you can also subscribe to my website, barbabray.net, to receive announcements and updates so you don't miss any of the conversations.